Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Okay, so usually when we warm somebody up before they start talking on the mic, we ask them what they ate for breakfast. So what did you eat for breakfast? I had really, really good scrambled eggs with spinach that taste like matzo brai because you made them for me. And lox, which we discovered that like, I mean, we already knew I loved lox, but I really loved lox. And an iced coffee that you also made me. All of this you made me, but you didn't like make the actual salmon. You like bought that somewhere. And I didn't ask that question to be self-serving, so I got all the credit, but I did make a lot of things. From the Boston Globe and PRX... This is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. So I am a lucky girl because after quarantining for weeks and taking multiple COVID tests, I recently got the chance to go to New York City to spend almost three weeks with my sister, Brett, while her husband, Ben, visited his parents. The Goldstein sisters, inside of a modest Lower East Side apartment for that long, well, it probably looked a little like Grey Gardens, except there was Zoom and TV. We managed to watch both recent Jumanjis. Highly recommend. While we were together... I wanted to talk to Brett about the theme of this season of the podcast. So now that I'm here, well, you've always come on the podcast to bring your wisdom. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This season of the podcast is all about age. So my first question to you is, how old are you, dear sister? 47, dear sister. I turned 47 on August 6th. I asked Brett our big question. What is the most important relationship lesson you've learned, and how old were you when you learned it? You might have to help me with the age, because you're you're better with dates and years and things like that. But I I learned the same lesson multiple times, and on both sides of the lesson, which is this. You can't make somebody love you, and you can't you, you can't manipulate someone into that, no matter how good a blowjob you give or how nice you are to them or how much you flatter them or whatever. And I think that I learned that, especially with men, trying to convince men that they love me more than they did. And then also I had a 10-year relationship where I think like I wasn't feeling it and I tried and I, and I kept trying and I couldn't. If you missed Brett's love story in past episodes, her husband, Ben, is a decade younger than her. Do you find that Ben got to learn lessons earlier than you might have or that he missed out on lessons that you already learned? Like, I imagine that he sort of understands the nature of of partnership at a much younger age than you ever did, or maybe not because you had a 10-year relationship first. Well, I think that the difference between us, like, yeah, I I had a 10-year relationship when I was in my 20s and into into my 30s, like early 20s to early 30s, but we weren't married and we weren't engaged. And so I think on some level, 
like I didn't even really even think about marriage and stuff like that. Where I think that for Ben, he's like fully committed for the long haul, which as a children of divorced parents, we're kind of cynical where that's concerned. It's like he's chosen me. He's, I don't know, deeper and more soulful and like and loving and not judgmental on a level that I don't even know if I'm capable of. I think I kind of suck compared to him in many ways. When we get talking about her marriage, Brett tells me a memorable lesson she learned in her late 30s. As much as Ben is a wonderful person and partner, marriage, or getting married, I should say, didn't meet Brett's expectations. Not at first, anyway. She admits she had this whole thing in her mind about how getting married would change them. And then it didn't. On some level, I think I wanted to experience like a profound, deep state of bliss and joy once I had had that, once I got the thing I wanted, which was marriage. But I didn't. It was just the same. It was like everything was the same, except he wasn't doing the vacillating thing, which is huge, I guess. That's wonderful that he wasn't doing the like, you know, I don't know, I'm so young, like I'm scared of this. Like he wasn't doing that anymore. He was perfectly fine. But I felt somehow this weird kind of postpartum depression-y stuff. Fortunately, my friend Elaine had bought me a book called The Conscious Bride. I forget the writer, but it's an easy Google. It's a picture of like a woman who looks a little depressed on the cover and she's wearing a white dress and it's like a light blue cover. It's called The Conscious Bride. And it basically said, you will be a goddamn train wreck the first year after you get married. And no matter how old you are, you will have a full-blown identity crisis. The guy will not. The woman will. This is very heterosexual geared. And I, and I was like, not me. And I wish I remembered why I was felt weird and spielkesy, as mom would have said, and sad, but I did. Well, I think there's something about expectation, right? My best friend, Jess, like, we talk a lot, we have a joke, which is, like, when we were 20-something living in together and June would be coming, we would say, this is the summer, right? This was the joke, right? Like, this summer, we're going to meet guys and we're going to do amazing things and we're going to go on a party cruise, like, and every summer wasn't the summer. And we still make that joke at like 41 and 43. Like, oh yeah, this is the summer. I mean, she's married with two kids. So like, that's the joke. But it's like, it never is what you think or what you've imagined. But now looking back on the summers I had with her, they were the summer. It wasn't the Sex and the City episode, perhaps, that we thought it was going to be. But we did go on a party cruise. We did have the, this great time. I just don't think we knew what the summer looked like. So I have to wonder whether similarly, you know, whether it's going to college for the first time or getting married and thinking that life is going to be so different after that really the, the lesson is somewhere about like just having such specific expectations that they're bound not to be met. Well, don't we do that every year? I mean, still, for New Year's, right? We just set these intentions, and sometimes it happens, and sometimes it doesn't. We get really psyched in the beginning. We go to the gym all the time, pre-pandemic, and now we don't. And I don't know, and like things kind of fall away. I, I'm sure I did a lot of the, this is the year. I do less of it now. Today's episode is about expectations and how they affect what we seek how we define relationship success, and how we might learn to reframe them so that we're happy with the results. This hits close to home because here I am setting all of these weirdly huge expectations for what I believe my life will look like after the pandemic. I've dreamed up a very specific boyfriend. He will make pasta from scratch. He will have a nice beard. 
Anyway, this brings us to a story about expectations for love and patience and learning to bide your time until you're in the right environment. It's the story of a young woman named Sarah Huckman. Hi, I'm Sarah Huckman. I'm 19 years old. Um, I live in the wonderful state of New Hampshire, and I go to the University of New Hampshire. I first met Sarah when I moderated a panel during a women's leadership conference in June of 2020. Sarah was there, talking about mothers and daughters who influence each other. I was struck by Sarah and her sense of humor, her style, her courage. Sarah, who spent most of her childhood on Cape Cod, was designated male at birth. She and her twin brother were adopted from Cambodia. Sarah transitioned in seventh grade and began identifying as a woman. By this time, her family had relocated to New Hampshire. Let's just paint the picture here. So I'm sitting in my chorus room of 80 plus students and I had already previously talked to my teacher and I was like, this is what I want to do. This is who I am. And I think this is like the best way to get the news out to everybody because like, I didn't want to individually like talk to people and be like, here, spread the rumors. I wanted it to be authentic. I wanted it to come from myself. Sarah gathers her courage, stands up and announces herself to the class. I was like, this is me. If you guys could call me Sarah from now on, that'd be great. If you accept me, that's amazing. If you don't, then I hope in the future that you come to terms of seeing who I am. This is something that like, I didn't think I was going to be doing ever in my lifetime. And I just was like, that's it. I need to tell the world that this is who I am and I can't be living in the shadows anymore. Had you already talked to your parents? Yeah, I had talked to my parents. I was going to a camp called Camp Aranudic for transgender and LGBTQ kids. And I got back from one of the camp seasons and I was like, this is what I want to do. I wanted to feel the weight lifted off my shoulders. And that's exactly what it felt like was a weight being lifted off my shoulders. I got a standing ovation. Everybody just stood up and they were just like clapping and they were so happy for me. Some of them knew that I was trans before I came out, but to see how everybody kind of like clicked and realized that this was who I was and that I was a much happier person, there was so much, there was so much joy in the room and I was just extremely like awestruck. Sarah says that she had started knowing this about herself as young as three years old. Her family was supportive, she says. As it happens, Sarah's transition comes at a time in life when many people start to have their first crushes and first relationships. She's navigating a lot all at once. A couple weeks after I came out, I had had a crush on this one guy, like, all the way through, like, elementary, like, sixth grade, and then all the way to seventh and eighth grade. And I was just like... I confronted him and I was like, I like you. <laughs> and it was just kind of, it was, it was awkward because I like had just transitioned. This was like was all new to me. It was all new to him. And I was just like, I like you and I don't know what to do about it. The boy accepts her, but nothing happens between them other than friendship. As she gets to high school, Sarah is excited to see her community widen. New faces, new people to seek out as friends and maybe more. Did you feel at any point 
in those early years of high school, like they're people I want to pursue. There definitely was. There was a couple of people that I had my eye out for, but I think I was kind of afraid, you know, I was afraid to branch out and get out of my comfort shell at like relationship wise and like dating wise because I didn't know how people were going to act. I didn't know if someone was going to be like, that's cool, but like, I still wouldn't date you or like, that's cool, but my religion, I don't know. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I kind of kept a low profile and I definitely talked to some guys, but it never really went anywhere because I either chickened out or they chickened out. (laughs) Not long after her transition, Sarah had begun stepping out as an advocate for transgender youth, both on social media and in real life. As she begins high school, she discovers that the organization regulating New Hampshire high school sports requires trans athletes to undergo gender confirmation surgery before competing with the gender they identify as. But doctors often won't perform that surgery on kids so young. So this rule makes no sense to Sarah, who's a runner and a skier. She works with the organization GLBTQ Legal Advocates and Defenders, or GLAD, to get the rule changed. Ultimately, she competes on the girls' Nordic ski team in high school, which she says she does without incident. Sarah also begins testifying on behalf of bills in New Hampshire to ban discrimination based on gender identity. One of those bills becomes law. Along the way, her story and activism draw the attention of some documentary filmmakers. They make an award-winning film called Changing the Game, featuring Sarah and two other transgender student-athletes. Sarah's starring role in the film begins to raise her profile among her peers. I'm going to Telluride, Colorado. I'm in a film festival. I'm speaking in front of so-and-so amount of people. I'm going to L.A. for Outfest. I'm talking in front of so-and-so amount of people. People kind of started to notice. They kind of were like, oh, okay, so she's kind of out there. But it can be difficult sometimes to tell whether people are showing genuine interest in her or whether they're just drawn to her relative celebrity. I think one of the breaking points for some of my friends was, you're friends with Hillary Swank? I'm like, mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I am. And they're kind of just like, that's amazing. Like, can you like let her talk to me? I'm like, mm, okay, okay, end of discussion. <laughs> And so it was kind of hard to differentiate between if they wanted it just for like the social status or just because they wanted to get to know me and started to see who I was. I guess my high school circle grew a lot more in my junior, senior year. It was just amazing to see the guys that I never really talked to start to talk to me. And even still to this day, I still wonder like if it's because of the social media presence or was it because they were starting to realize that I'm a human being? (laughs) But were there romances or almost romances? Like with any of these young men who you were talking to, were you ever like, do you want to date? Did it ever get that far? Or were you just not in that place yet? I definitely wasn't in that place. Thinking back on it now, I definitely brought it up with a couple of the guys that I talked to. But I never, I never really was ready for that. Sarah does plenty of flirting, though, to kind of test the waters. There was this one guy in particular that I was talking to for... A long amount of time, he was a big sports player, and I had a crush on him, obviously, and he liked me for who I was, and he liked my personality, 
And so we had been talking for a long time in person, over the phone, on FaceTime, stuff like that. And I finally was like, so do you kind of want to date? Like, what is, what are we doing here? He goes, I'm not ready for that. What, what would the team say if they dated you? And so that kind of hit me with like a wall. I was like, oh, so you don't want your friends, your obviously popular friends to think less of you because you're dating the girl who happens to be trans. Sarah says the guy reached back out recently to apologize. I was understanding. I'm obviously a forgiving and understanding person because like it's such a fragile time in high school. We're still trying to find ourselves, you know what I mean? And we're not really, we don't know who we are exactly. It's experiences like this that give Sarah what she calls a love-hate relationship with her high school. She loves her friends. She loves learning and some of her classes. But I definitely was like, get me the F out of here. Like, get me out as far away as possible from this closed-minded small town. And this is where expectations come into play. Sarah wants to believe that all she has to do is get to college and things will be better. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. So Sarah is looking forward to going away to college. It feels like a fresh start, especially for her love life. So... My dad mentions in the documentary, it's a little spoiler if anybody ends up watching it. He says that he hopes for me in the future to find my prince charming and that it was hard for him to see that I didn't find that in high school. And so that brought up a conversation like uh, amongst the dinner table, kind of just talking about how I'm going to find new people in college and that's going to be a bigger pool. There's going to be more open-minded people And I got really excited. When you imagine a Prince Charming, because this is a total personality thing, can you give me characters, actors, examples? I know what my Prince Charming would look like. (laughs) Tell me about yours. Like, what would he be like? Mm, So you have to have a good personality. You cannot be an a-hole to people. Like, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here for you to bully other people because they're different. Uh, You have to be accepting of who I am. You have to be respectful of my body. I used to be like, ooh, a guy with cut abs. Yes, please. But now I'm kind of just like, if you have a nice face and a nice personality and you actually are athletic and fit, thank you. I'll go for it. So you're at the dinner table having this conversation and what were the things you were starting to get excited about based on what your dad was saying. I was getting excited for like open-minded people, people who didn't care for what body I had, what my label was. I was excited to like not have that label as like, oh, she's that girl who's transgender and she's different. When you imagined and fantasized about what college might be like for dating, what was the dream you had for it? And what, what did you sort of think it might be? At first, I kind of definitely was like, oh, take me on a date. We can go walk downtown. We can go to like a little party or a get together. Oh my God, we can study. We can snuggle. (laughs) 
But yeah, that was kind of like the fantasy that I had of like, I'll be able to do all these fun, cute little things. Like he'll buy me little necklaces or bracelets or something. I don't know. It sounds so cliche, but that's what I was thinking at the time. Sarah decides to go to the University of New Hampshire, her mom's alma mater. It's in-state, so it's cheaper than some of the other colleges she's looking at. Plus, it's close to Portsmouth, a city she loves. She walks on campus with great expectations. This is where it's all going to happen. Epic love, a storybook romance, the soulmate with penetrating eyes. Think The Kissing Booth on Netflix, starring Sarah Huckman. Part of my fantasy was true. The beautiful campus, the going out late night, all that stuff. But in terms of finding love and a relationship, um, it's proven to be a little bit difficult. Sarah does meet a guy on a dating app. They're together for a couple months. We met and we went out for sushi for a little bit. And he walked me to class and that was like our first date we went on. It was really cute. And then we both came to realize that we needed to focus on our studies. I was slipping, he was slipping, and we needed to figure out what we needed to do for ourselves. This wasn't quite the Prince Charming fantasy Sarah had been hoping for. Neither was her experience on dating apps. I have gotten so many people just messaging me on Tinder or Bumble or Hinge, and they're just like, um... So you're trans? That's interesting. I've never been with a transgendered before. I'm just like, oh, God. (laughs) And I'm just like, what do you mean? And then they're like, well, I think that's really hot. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You cannot fetishize me. And that's what I found is that a lot of guys in college have fetishized me for being trans. And it's kind of gross. Apart from some people being gross on dating apps, like, it also sounds like you were figuring out, oh, like, college isn't where there's a magic change of life in its entirety. I mean, how have your thoughts changed about that since coming to terms with what it really means to be 19 and and be in college? I was looking for the love and the relationship, but now I'm just kind of, like, seeing how 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds are not wired like that. They are not. It's usually a swipe and a, hey, let's hook up. And I'm just like, it's not, that's, that's not what I was expecting. The mindset of a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old, it's It's different than what people expect it to be. Everybody thinks that we're going to be so loving and accepting of everybody, when in reality, we still have the minds of what we were in high school. You know what I mean? Like, some people may mature, but they still always have these, like, implicit biases about other people. And I would think that even in a best-case scenario where you meet someone who's truly wonderful and they love you for you and you love them for them... It's still hard to commit a lot at 19 because everybody can go in different directions. Did removing that expectation make college a little bit, I don't know, did it take the pressure off of what college is supposed to be and help you figure out how to better enjoy it? 
It definitely did. Kind of removing that expectation of what I wanted and what I've seen on television and stuff like that. I've definitely been able to focus more on like what to see in people, I guess. Seeing more in depth about someone's personality rather than than their looks, um, seeing what they stand for, their their culture. I asked Sarah, what would she tell high school seniors who are looking ahead to life in college? First, she says, temper expectations. Prince Charming isn't going to come knocking on move-in day. Second, find a solid group of friends. This, she says, has been hugely important in getting her through the letdowns in her love life. Whenever I go on a date and it's like really, really bad, my guy friends are always there to be like, come over, we're talking about this. Like, is this going to be an issue? Are we going to have to go beat somebody up? Or I would have my girlfriends and they'd be like, come over, we're just going to sit, watch a movie and cry. Sarah says she's learned that you should be yourself and not try to fulfill someone else's expectations for who you should be. That's not a way to live. That's not a way to get somebody to love you. You need to be yourself, be authentic, and make sure that they know that too, that the person that you're talking to knows that you want to be able to be open, authentic, and unapologetically you. This is a lesson Sarah says she'll try to apply to herself as she makes her next big move, probably after college. She's not sure exactly when or where that will be, but she dreams of a place like Los Angeles. When you do picture yourself in L.A., like in that sort of dream sequence, what does it look like to you? I want to live in like one of those like really modern houses, kind of. I think for me, I was I've always wanted to be like a content creator. So I think it would be really cool if I like either started my own content house or I like I managed a content house. And like you go to parties, you go out at night. Like what is it? Socially. Yeah, I think definitely going out, going to a party, going to bars, meeting a cute guy at a bar, telling him my life story and having him being like, oh, that's so cool. Let's go on another date. I definitely hope that there will be more open minded people because it's again, it's bigger population, a bigger fishbowl. So I think that's a part of like moving, especially to L.A. because there's a lot of like more open minded, like kind of like hippie kind of people. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for giving us this big lesson. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. It's been fun. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith and Jenna Serbo do our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ashanti Davis. Check them out on the Love Letters Instagram. Special thanks to Brian McGrory and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. Love Letters is also an advice column. Send your questions about your own relationships to loveletters at boston.com. I love to read them. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We're online at loveletters.show. You are a freak show. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I'm saying this. I mean, I know it must be a little bit weird because I'm your sister, but like you freakishly don't look your age. I would put you in freak show category. I think some of it is that I don't like often when people tell me I look young, it's because I'm not dressed well. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Thank you.
from PRX.